You know what? This is a, an example of what we talked about last week of in 2020, we want to do storytelling. And it's just as simple is that of just sharing what God is doing, and I love it. Thank you, you guys. And um, man, my prayer is those, those books would be helpful. They'd be meaningful. They'd be something that you can use and keep. And uh, hey, I'd love to see some of those drawings. I'd love to hear from you guys of what you're writing in those books. Um, that, that is awesome. So let's, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this community, for this church. We're so thankful that as a community, we get to hear you in your word. So I pray now as we start this, this series in Acts, even as we sit today under your word, that you would use your Holy Spirit powerfully in our lives. We would be at the end of this series, different people, changed people for your glory, for your good, for your kingdom. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts, here we go. You can look at your Bibles, you can look at those books, what, what, whatever you want to do as we start this series. I want to start with the title of the series, of what I've chosen to name the series, and it's simply this, Acts, A Holy Spirit-Inspired Legacy. And that, that might sound simple. I thought about it for a long time because in your Bibles, oftentimes under the heading of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. And, and you can see that in your Bible. And that's super appropriate and good. And I like it. Some have said it's really probably more correct to say the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God. Because it's the Holy Spirit working through his apostles to do incredible things in this early church, in, in early Jerusalem and beyond. Another title I thought about was Acts That Are Meaningful to You and Me. Because that's really important too. We don't just want to leave the book of Acts back in the first century. We want to apply it to our lives here in the 21st century. So what I did in the title is I just you know, I kind of did a cop out and just combined them all, right? Where I said, here's what it is. It's a Holy Spirit inspired legacy. The Holy Spirit is at work inspiring these early believers to leave a legacy on down through the centuries all the way to us here at this church right now. So that's what we're talking about when we go through the book of Acts. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to remind us of the, the title along the way just to keep us focused. Okay, so I'm, I, I might have said um, last week, but this sermon series is going to take approximately all of 2020. Okay, it's going to take a year. Acts is 28 chapters. There's a lot there, and there's no reason to rush through it. It's something I want to be faithful to and to share in such a way that it sinks deep into our hearts. So the big question for today this is what I want to answer in this sermon today. Why give a year of our lives in this church to the book of Acts? Why are we going to do that? And the answers, as is, is I thought it through, are really exciting. It, because it, because it's, it's something that speaks deeply to our soul. So I want to answer in a few different ways. Here's the first way. The answer is some of it is just 
they're, they're givens, okay? When, how, why do we study the book of Acts? Here's the givens. It's in the Bible, so it's worthy to study, right? And the, and the corollary to that is the Bible instructs us to preach through the whole counsel of God, all of the Bible, so we do it. So book of Acts falls in that category, and guess what? 65 other books in the Bible fall in that category also. Here's a second reason. One of my prayers for me and for you is that we would have a deep passion in our souls to grow in Jesus and to know God more. That, that, is, that is something all of us can pray for us individually and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm, I'm going to go back in the way back machine to 1992. Okay. Lori and I had been married for a couple of years. We had one child. Um, it, it, it was way back when I, I was young and didn't know much of anything about anything. And that's the truth. Okay. I decided, okay, we're, we're married. I have a child. I'm working full time in the, in the business world. And we're volunteering at our church in the youth group. And we're loving it. I, I, I'm just like, enraptured by what's going on in the church. And I, I approached Lori and said, I, I have this crazy harebrained idea that I want to take some classes at seminary, which was just like out of the blue, right? So I signed up for a night class where one night a week I was going to drive straight from work over to Talbot Seminary and take a class and then and study and do all this stuff attached to it. Here was the deal. There, there was something going on in my heart that I had a burning passion spiritually. I had a burning passion to grow in Jesus, and I had a burning passage, pa passion for knowledge. I wanted to know more. I, I, I wanted to, to know God on a deeper level. I, I wanted it so bad for my soul. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to... Um, say anything weird right now or appeal to what's going on in our culture. But, but I thought about when Kobe Bryant died, what in my life do I have some sort of mamba mentality in? And basically that means what is my deepest passion that I'm going to invest in with all of my heart and soul? And I look back at my life and this was a time where I had a mamba mentality for something. Right? This was way before, I think Kobe Bryant was probably in the fifth grade or something like that. But, but it, was, it was something I had a deep burning passion for. As we approach the book of Acts and ask the question why we're studying Acts, here's another answer. I want each of you to have a deep burning mamba mentality passion for knowing Jesus deeper and knowing God's word better and understanding how God is working in your heart and in your life. And we're going to find it in the book of Acts. I guarantee you. We're going to find it in the people of Acts, the events in Acts, the history of Acts, the miracles in Acts. Week by week, as we come to this study, it's going to push us to be passionate for Jesus. It's going to push us to want to know more about God. Here's the third thing. These are Acts-specific reasons, okay? Meaning reasons we study Acts found in the book of Acts, okay? This is, this is kind of what, what I'm thinking, and there's a few of them. The first is this. 
in the book of Acts, we are going to discover as we study, there is a community mentality versus an individualism mentality, right? The picture of life done in community as opposed to life done as an individual. The present state of 21st century spirituality, I think, is very individualistic. Okay, you, you might have heard someone in your own life say, my beliefs are very private, or, or my faith is very private. It, it's an individualism that's prevalent in our society, and it spills over into the church, into us, into who we are. There, there are people out there that want to say, here's how I do Christianity. I come to church, I want to be left alone, and then I walk out of church. And, and that's the extent of their spirituality. It, it's an individualistic one. It has no interest in community, and it has no interest in growth outside of the church. The book of Acts presents a community that is so on fire for Jesus that they do life together. They have all things in common. And it might be uncomfortable for us, but they are up in one another's business in a big way. That's what the book of Acts presents in the early church. So as we study Acts, here's one of the reasons we're going to do it for a year. We need to be challenged. We need to be challenged by this group of people that were driven by the Holy Spirit of God to not be individuals, but to be a community in Jesus. Here's another reason. The book of Acts is a call to sacrifice our desires, okay? Um, Lori asked me to listen to a podcast the other day that she thought I might find interesting. And she said, but you know what? You can fast forward for the through the first like 20 minutes because it's just this woman talking about her, um, her practices in Buddhism. And that kind of got me interested, so I listened to it. And I, I was fascinated by what she had to say because she was talking about her personal faith in, in Buddhism. And, and then it kind of leaked out a little while later when, when she was you know, asked some questions about it that she said, my belief in Buddhism is very personal. And I just choose the best things about Buddhism from a bunch of different places. She used the term best practices of Buddhism. She ended up with a Buddhism that suited her. Okay, it wasn't outside of her. It suited her. It was a religion that she felt good about. It was a religion that she liked. And my guess is, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a Buddhism scholar or anything like that. My guess is some people that practice Buddhism might look at her and scratch their head and say, wait a minute, you're just picking and choosing and you're missing out on some really important things. If we're not careful in the church, we're going to do this same thing in Christianity. We're going to pick and choose what we like. And I see this more and more. 
And, and I don't know, I think that's what people say when they get older. Like, I see this more and more. But I'm, I'm serious that this is something that I'm, I'm just aware of more and more of people are not as interested in the external source of our faith, the Bible, and are more interested in picking and choosing what they like. So they might say, I really like the concept that God is love, but I actually really don't like the Old Testament God. I, I might really like the idea that we're called to love one another, but I don't really like the limits on human sexuality that the Bible presents. So people pick and choose what they want their own personal Christianity, their best practices to be. When we study the book of Acts, Acts gives us no choice. We don't have those choices when studying the book of Acts because we look at this church and these people who are all babies in the faith, right? Our churches today, any given church, are going to have people that have been Christians for 50 years and people that are Christians for 50 days. The book of Acts had a bunch of baby Christians, and they were taught by the likes of Peter and Paul and Barnabas and on and on and on, and they were taught the word of God. They were taught the commandments of Jesus. They weren't given a choice to say, I know that sounds, you know, kind of harsh. You don't have to believe that. Just, just believe this over here. They didn't give them a choice. It was a strong call to follow Jesus. It was a strong call to follow the Holy Spirit. It was a strong call to sacrifice their desires for the sake of God and the Bible and others. That is what we're going to see in the book of Acts. And I'm going to say this, it's beautiful. It's good and it's right. And it's challenging. It's challenging. But that is what's taught in Acts. Another thing of why we're going to study Acts for a year is the concept of it being more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to see this in Acts 20. American evangelicalism is sadly going on a path that's all about what can I get out of it? What can I receive from my church? What can I receive from God? What can my pastor do for me? In fact, in America, we spent vast amounts of money on church buildings, church programs, and just self-preservation. How can we keep ourselves relevant? If not careful, we're going to just simply be creating monuments to ourselves. We're going to spend our money in that way with the goal of attracting people, but essentially we're just creating little worship centers that are insular and designed for our pleasure. Acts shows us the early church's priorities, and it is so good to look at it. It's so good in the face of what we see in this self-consumed world around us. It's good for us personally, and it's good for us as a church community. Here's what goes on in the book of Acts when it comes to finances. Their finances were shared. It's crazy. 
and it's going to be challenging for us. Their finances were shared and designed to give away. Give away. As individuals, they were writing checks and selling houses. As churches, they were giving their money away. We're going to see super poor churches, like from Macedonia, which was this incredibly poor area, saying, how can we give? What can we give to this cause? In terms of people, Vanessa mentioned um, Acts 15, and it's this you know, council in the, in the Church of Antioch, and the Church of Antioch is just amazing because they take, they, they identified, that we're, we're gonna see, they identified their best people. Here are the people that know how to preach. Here are these people that know how to evangelize. Here are these people that know how to run churches. And they're gonna say, okay, you guys, go. We're, late, we're giving you up. We're, we're giving you up for the benefit of others. We've got this. We're good here. Their best people were sent away for the sake of others. That is so counterculture to what we do today. The church's priorities in terms of time and energy in the early church were always for the good of others. Always was always for the good of others. They, they, they probably, you know, when, the, when the, the church email went out and it said, hey, we need, we need help to do something, they, they just went and they did it, okay? It, it, it was something that was important to them to serve other people. Let me say this, I, and I, I, I don't want it to just be words. I want us to really think through some things this stuff about finances and people and time and energy, it's super radical for us today. It's super radical. We're a lot more today. Let me look at my calendar. Let me, let me make sure that um, I'm getting enough me time. These people did radical things, and I think it benefited their souls. I think some of the things we do with an aim, and I, I gotta be careful here, but, but I'm gonna say it and we can talk about it later. With an aim to take care of ourselves, actually have the exact opposite response. We become so insular and self-consumed that it makes our problems worse. In the book of Acts, they took care of others and were made strong by the Holy Spirit. I think we can challenge ourselves to think through some of these radical things where we're outward facing, we're sacrificial, we're self-giving. We at least need to hear and consider. Another thing in the book of Acts, why we study it, it's a new way to live and die. Jesus didn't come to just simply show us a new philosophy and suggestions on life like one more teacher in a long line of other teachers. Jesus came to live and to die, to live a perfectly righteous life and die a sacrificial death. That's why Jesus came. And then he called us into a new way of us living and dying. And Acts shows us how. Acts shows us how to make our lives count. Acts shows us how the early believers lived out 
their Christianity and how we are called to follow them. A Holy Spirit-inspired legacy. Acts is powerful in this. So when we think about what's our personal goal as we listen to an hour, a year's worth of sermons in Acts, I believe there are two life-changing things. And these should be starred and circled in your little books. To transform our hearts to Jesus. And secondly, to lead us on our mission in Jesus. To transform hearts and to show us our mission in life. Transform our hearts to Jesus and lead us on our mission in Jesus. That's what we're called to do in Acts. And that's what we're going to give a year to in Acts. So the big answer to this question, why are we studying Acts? Why are we studying Acts for a year? Here's the big answer. Acts is a life-giving investment. Are you tired of things in your life that just take and take and take? That just suck the life out of you? Oftentimes, those things are superficial. Once again, we can talk more, and I understand. I understand that these things are real. But when we study Acts, we come to Jesus and we find true life. We study Acts as a life-giving investment in your life. As you study this book, you're going to receive this kind of powerful life in Jesus. So make that investment. God's making an investment in you. Make the investment of your time to study and grow and learn and come to Jesus. Okay, that's the intro. That's a lot, I know. So let's go. Let's get into it. And we just have five short verses tonight. And I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time um, uh, on these verses. But I, I want to look at them because I think it's going to drive what we study for the rest of the time. So we're going to look at uh, the first two verses of Acts. And I think there's four important things here. The first is this. Acts is the, f the, the first of a two-volume set. No, no, the second of a two-volume set. The first is the book of Luke. The second is the book of Acts. In, in the New Testament, um, in the early, early ancient first century times, they didn't have books, right? They, they, they didn't have like something where you just turn the page in a book. They had scrolls. You've probably seen them, you know, open those scrolls and stuff like that. About the longest a scroll can be is 35-ish feet, okay? So you can read and read and read and read. So in these early days when it says in the first thing, in the first book, O Theophilus, right? He's talking about the book of Luke, and we're going to get there in a minute. It wouldn't fit on one scroll if he had Luke and Acts all together. It wouldn't even come close. So he divided it. And, and it's a, it's a you know, fairly logical division. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was the first book. And then the book of Acts is the second book. And he's going to talk about the early church. So there's two scrolls here purposefully in the book of Acts. We see the same exact structure as verses 1 through 5 in Luke, verses 1 through 4. And I want to read it just because I think it gives us an idea of how did it all start. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So the book of Luke and then the continuation is the book of Acts. And the purpose of writing these is, is pretty clear from these verses. It's a historical account of the life of Jesus. That's the book of Luke. And an historical account of the early church. That's the book of Acts. And it's based on what, according to these verses? Eyewitnesses. It's an orderly account. The author wanted certainty about the things Christians had been taught. So the question is, is this where you're at? Would it be helpful to you to have more and more certainty about what the Christian faith is all about? More and more certainty about what happened in the early days of the church. More and more certainty about the history of the Bible. That's what we're going to get. And that's the purpose of these two things. The second thing about these first verses is Acts is written to a man named Theophilus. We see that in verse 1. Luke 1.3 says this guy is most excellent, which probably means he's a, a, a man of high status in some way. Maybe he's a Roman official. Maybe he's just someone in the community um, where he's most excellent. And Luke was doing him a service. He might have even commissioned these books to help him out in his own personal faith. Luke was writing a defense of Christianity in order to encourage him. He was probably either a young believer or some sort of seeker examining Christianity. I, I hold that he was more of a, of a young believer who wanted what? Certainty. He, he wanted to be sure that what he believed was true. I, I believe this is so good for us. So good for us to know that, that this book is meant to instruct someone in the certainty of the faith. So we can be sitting here as a church saying, I'd like that too. I, I'd like to be certain. I'd like to be encouraged. I'd like to know what I believe is true with all sorts of evidences and eyewitnesses and facts about the early church. So next, who wrote it? Who is the author? The author is most likely this man, Luke. We, we know that from history. Okay, We know the early church attributed the books of Luke and Acts to this man, Luke. And we also know from internal evidence of what goes on in the book of Acts. And, and it's kind of a cool thing because there are later in the books, when Paul starts going out on his missionary journey, all of a sudden it goes from third person talking about Paul to first person plural. It starts saying we. And, and we know from history, Luke in those moments was accompanying Paul. 
So when it goes to we, it's further confirmation that these were Luke's writings, okay? So that's kind of this internal evidence of what was going on. So if Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, you know what that tells us? This man, Luke, wrote a full one quarter of the entire New Testament. That's pretty cool. You know, having that on your resume is not bad. Luke, we know from Colossians 4.14, is a physician. He's a medical doctor. We know he was highly educated. The Greek, New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek in the book of Luke and the book of Acts was on the highest level. It, It was the kind of Greek that highly educated people wrote. In contrast to the book of Peter, written by a simple fisherman, was about the lowest level of Greek that was written. So it's further internal evidence that this was from a highly educated man. Luke was also an incredible historian, right? He, he talked about getting eyewitnesses. He talked about certainty. He talked about compiling evidence. He was a historian, and when when Historians now look at ancient historians, and and some of the famous were guys like uh, Josephus at this time, okay? They said Dr. Luke was of the highest level of ancient historians. And what that tells us is it gives credibility to his writings. We can trust this. We can be encouraged by the certainty of his writings. And then finally, in, the, in these verses, it gives us an idea of, of the division between Luke and Acts, right? The Gospel of Luke were all that Jesus began to do and teach up to the time of the ascension, when he went to heaven. And then after, in the book of Luke, is the commands and outworkings on the apostles' lives and in the early church. So overall, I I think in these opening sections of Acts and Luke, we can walk away from it saying we can have confidence that this is accurate and true and what really happened in the early church. Vanessa mentioned waiting, that the disciples were waiting. Verses three through five is exactly what leads us in to that waiting, right? Jesus, Jesus presented himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. And believe me, you guys, without this instruction for Jesus, they were out. They didn't want to be there, right? Jesus said, stay, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the disciples, the apostles, were waiting in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. And that's going to lead us right into the narrative, the story in the book of Acts. Next week, when we come, we're going to look at this this structure from verses 6 on that's going to show us what's going to happen in this book, and it's going to show us what's going on with the disciples as they're waiting. But in the meantime, I want us to feel what it's like to wait a little bit, okay? We're going to wait till next week, just like the disciples 
were waiting. For the disciples, this picture of waiting, I imagine, is one of excitement, one of mystery, suspense, anticipation. They, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was coming. Of fear, of insecurity, of hope mingled with doubt. They were in a tough place. They were waiting for something that they had no idea what it was going to look like. Oftentimes when we wait for things, we, we, we can see, okay, this is what's coming. Or we're waiting for things that we have no idea what the outcome is. They had no idea what the outcome of this was going to be. So when we think about that in our lives, it, it actually feels a lot like what it is in our lives when we're waiting patiently for something we have no idea what is going to come. And our response, and I can speak for myself, but you know what? I know you guys well enough, and I know the human heart well enough. I'm going to speak for all of us. A lot of times when we wait, it often comes through the lens of our own personal comfort and peace. Our prayers oftentimes in seasons of waiting are prayers that say, just get me out of this. I don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. I want to have peace. I want to have comfortable life. And that's how we wait. We pray over and over again, God, get me out of it. God, get me out of it. I think the disciples were probably in about the same place. They were probably feeling a lot of the same ways that we feel when we're waiting in hard, troubled, difficult, uncertain times. Their lens was pretty narrow, just like ours, of how we pray and how we act. But something happened, you guys. Something radically changed them. The Holy Spirit came into their life in a powerful way, and their lives were never the same. And we're going to see this in Acts. I want to leave you with this question. What if our lenses change as well? So powerfully that we look a lot like the apostles looked. What if we go from, make me comfortable, God. What if we go from that to, okay, God, what are you up to? What's going on? Or, God, how can I join your plan and your work no matter how uncomfortable and how uncertain I am? I'm with you all the way. That's much more challenging, isn't it? That's a much more challenging prayer than get me out of it, God. And it's much more like the early church and the early Christians. Our lives, you guys, you can relate, right? Our lives are full of excitement, mystery, suspense, anticipation, fear, insecurity, hope, mingled with doubt. My prayer is this, as we enter this study in the book of Acts, we would live our lives trusting deeply. And I mean deeply. In God. Believing in Jesus and anticipating what the Holy Spirit's going to do in our lives. I think studying Acts is going to help us do it. And I think it's going to be good for our souls. And I think it's going to be awesome for our church. Let's pray. Father, do a work. I, I, I pray you do in a work in my heart as, as I prepare each week. And I pray, Lord, you would do a work in our hearts that, that we don't 
look at Acts through the lens of 21st century American evangelicalism. But Lord, Lord, use your spirit powerfully that we might study Acts through the lens of these first century Christians whose lives have been turned upside down. Give us grace to do it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. It's in the name of the Father, and Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen.